It was 2002, and we were living in Colorado at the time. It was a particularly hot, dry, and windy summer. There was a total ban on outdoor fires, especially in the national forest areas. No campfires, no grilling your hot dogs, and no smoking. The accounts differ, but apparently a technician who worked with the Forest Service burned a letter from her estranged husband in one of the fire rings. And the sparks from that letter set off a blaze that eventually destroyed over 138,000 acres, many homes, including one of a friend of mine, and cost six lives. One night we went out on our front porch and we could see the glow on the clouds of a fire coming our way. It was the largest fire in Colorado history up to that point. Sadly, there have been two since then that have been larger. Just a few sparks, a piece of paper, and a fire ring that ordinarily would have been safe. Flying over the area during that time, Governor Bill Owens said it looked like all of Colorado was burning. James uses this image when he wants to talk about the destructive potential of what we say. Our words can be like small sparks that set a great forest on fire. The tongue is small, but it has great power. It has power to destroy, but also it has power to heal. You've already heard a version of this sermon from Stephanie today. I don't have Harry Potter in mind. But um, we, we kind of came up with the same things, and I think it's, we didn't compare notes. And I think it's important today. It's going to be very simple what we're talking about, the power of the tongue to destroy and to heal. In recent weeks, we've been considering the things that lead to and form and sustain healthy community. Making commitments, having integrity, showing mercy, and today we're looking at something very practical yet vital, and that's the impact of what we say. We're taught early on about these things, right? Do you remember? Be careful, little mouth, what you say. If you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. I remember that one. We've heard them since before kindergarten, yet it's a testament, I think, to the tongue's tendency that we, that we have to come back to this over and over again. Community is important because we're not saved on our own. There are those who lead us to faith, there are those who walk with us on the faith journey, and those who help to shape our lives as brothers and sisters. And the way we talk to them, talk about them, or with them, is one of the most important aspects of our life together because it can destroy or it can build up. James, in chapter 3 here, is primarily addressing teachers. That's his concern, and it's because teachers do what they do through what they say. There's concern here about speaking the truth, about building up and edifying, about avoiding the pitfalls of speech that tear people down, about avoiding falsehoods. But I have to say, just because he's directing his words to teachers doesn't let the rest of us off the hook when it comes to our awareness about the tongue's power. I actually think as I read through James, he's not neutral about the tongue, is he? He doesn't say, oh, it can go this way or it can go that way. He's sort of pessimistic. He is. He's very pessimistic about his outlook of the natural way people tend to speak. He calls the tongue a world of evil among the parts of the body, set on fire by hell. Wow. And he gives us strong warnings about what and how we are 
to say what we say. He uses several analogies to make this point. You've already heard them this morning, and we've read them there. In that, Basically, even though it's not a large part of our body, the tongue has an outsized degree of influence and impact. A small bit in the horse of a mouth is how they're controlled and directed. A rudder on a ship, small and unseen, right? It's under the water, but it determines the course of that ship. And you know, when you set on a journey, just a little bit of variation means you could end up in England or Spain. I mean, it's a huge difference. And then he warns that a small spark can destroy a great forest. James is bringing us wisdom that small things matter. What we give attention to in the details of our lives is actually what makes up our lives. And the tongue has potential to tear down, to destroy, and to wound. For James, this isn't just about saying something uh, that we're thinking, although that's, you know, not saying about something we're thinking, although that's not a bad place to start, but of having integrity between our heart and our mind and our words. Do we say things that hurt because we have evil intention in our hearts? That's where it comes from, absolutely. That's the point he's going to make in chapter 4. And here he's building on the theme that he started with at the beginning of being slow to speak and quick to listen. His goal is that we embrace divine wisdom and that it flows from our hearts to our words and also our deeds. Wisdom that is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And we'll hear that in what we say. James is not naive on this. He understands it's an uphill battle. The tongue tends toward gossip and unkindness, toward criticism and harshness, if our hearts are not full of peace. What does he think about the tongue? No human being can tame it. It's a work of the Spirit with which we have to participate. You know, I thought about the collect today. That's the prayer that we pray right before the right before we we go into the reading of the Scriptures. It says, O God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts and our mouths. Professor Robert Wall says that controlling what we say is a habit formed by spiritual discipline. This is a work of the Spirit. It's a work of us growing in maturity, becoming more Christ-like. Rabbi Joseph Tolishkin, who was author of the book Words That Hurt, Words That Heal, has lectured throughout the country on this very thing, on the powerful, often negative impact of words. And uh, when, he's, when he's lecturing, he often asks audiences, can you go 24 hours without saying any unkind words about people or to people? And invariably, a small number of hands go out and say, yeah, I can do that for 24 hours. Others laugh. Quite a few call out, no! The rabbi responds, he says, those who can't answer yes must recognize that you have a serious problem. If you can't go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're addicted to alcohol. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. So if you can't go 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, you've lost control of your tongue. In our day, we need to extend the idea of James' warnings to the things we post online, the things we link to, the things we like in social media. Because this is also communication that can tear down and destroy or just be mindless and vapid. 
opinions that may harm others about things really we don't know anything about, usually. This is rampant in our time. And as Christians, we want to address spiritual discipline and maturity to what we post or what we decide not to post on social media. I mean, we bear a large responsibility for how we care about each other in this way. Because in the end, words are not just words. One of the founders of Twitter, Evan Williams, wanted to set everyone free to express themselves and share ideas online. But recently he said that he believes the internet is broken and getting worse. He said, I thought once everybody could speak freely and exchange information and ideas, the world would automatically be a better place. He says, I was wrong about that. The words we say or write have the power to destroy. Now, the good news is words also have power to heal. Our understanding of this is rooted in creation itself, right? God spoke the worlds into being. Let there be. And it was good, and it was very good. People were drawn to Jesus because of his teaching, because of what he said. It was different than what they had heard. It had authority. It had love. It drew people to the Father. And also, he was a healer. He offered life in the midst of death, hope in place of despair. He called forth something new. And Jesus' words and actions are the same. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. His teaching and his healing are one and the same. Jesus, who is the embodied word of God, as John tells us in his gospel, who brings the word, who is the word, and whose words are life. Isaiah says, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue, to know the word that sustains the weary. There is a word that's healing. There is a word that's life-giving. There is a word that's comforting and freeing, and it's a gift of God to his people. The sovereign Lord has given me this. We have opportunity and we have responsibility to speak to one another the words of life, building each other up. And too often, I think, we leave things unsaid. Things we could say to encourage and heal and strengthen others. And I don't know why we do that, except that maybe it makes us feel very vulnerable to come to someone and say, I I want to share something with you. I want to encourage you. It's much easier to critique than to compliment. Now hear hear me, I'm not talking about empty words. I'm not talking about saying things that aren't true. This is not about being nice. I don't even like the word nice when we talk about spiritual, you know, it's kindness is what we talk about. But it's about observing the gifts that God has placed in others and calling those forward. Helping others see the larger picture of God's goodness when they're going through struggle and trial. Or sometimes just not saying anything at all, but being present. That also is a way to heal. I mean, think about it. Um, you know, every week we, we post the names of the people who are serving. Many of them you do not see. And it doesn't, you know, it's so easy just when you see that person say, I, I saw you were serving today. Thank you for that. Or to, or to notice something about a person and say, ah, you have a gift for this. Have you thought about growing in that more? Or, you know, is the, you know, what are you doing with that? Where does that come from? Or just saying thank you. <laughs> and you might say, oh, I'm kind of introverted. I'm shy. I don't. I don't go up to people and talk to them. Okay, send a note, send a text, send an email. 
It costs us nothing. It pays huge returns because our words create. When we speak something, we set it in motion. This is how, I mean, this is one of the gifts when we say we're, we're made in the image of God. I believe this is a gift that we've been given, the gift of speech to create just as God creates through word. We make new reality. We make room for new things. And that can either be a, a good thing that's full of life or it can be a thing that just, you know, tears people down. But we have this opportunity to, to create new space through words. A number of years ago, our vestry read through Larry Crabb's book, Encouragement. We read it a little bit at a time, over a year, and we tried to put into practice the things we learned. And it was transforming. Um, and there are still people that were on that vestry that will do that, and they're in a different place than they were before. Because of that book, I'm, I'm in a different place. In his book, Sabbath Time, Tilden Edwards tells about a family that had teenage children who decided as part of their Sabbath, they would not criticize each other on Sundays. <laughs> Any other day, sure, but not on Sundays. We're not going there on Sunday. And you know, as the months went on and they kept this commitment, they realized that more and more of their children's friends were coming over on Sunday just to hang out. No one in the family had talked about this commitment, but somehow other teenagers knew this home was a good place to be. Now, I know that some are concerned this approach means hard things will not be said. That justice will be avoided for the sake of keeping things positive. Not at all. Not at all. Truth must be spoken. But we speak the truth with the transformation and redemption of the other in mind. Can we honor our difference, even as we point out concern? Can we speak the truth in love? Do we care for how the message is received? In other words, do we care about the person that we feel like, I need to speak to this, or maybe it's a social issue where we need to address it. Do we really care about the reconciliation, or are we just venting? Gospel communication and speech is that we care about the reconciliation and transformation. Someone in the church recently approached me saying, I need to say something to you. And they said, I love you, and I want to tell you this. And they told me. And it was not a hard word. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, deep criticism or anything like that. But it did call for some reorienting of my perspective on something. One of the things I loved about what this person did is they said, I love you and I want to say this. If we could take that little word, but, and take it out whenever we want to affirm someone or say a word where we need to, you know, you're good at this, but. <laughs> we know it's coming, right? I saw you there, yeah, but. No, just. They did a wonderful thing there, and they said, I love you, and I want to tell you this. And it did change my perspective. I received it. It was a redemptive word for me, and I believe it's redemptive then for this whole congregation. Sometimes harder things must be addressed, yes, but always with the goal in mind of healing and reconciliation. Peter's a reminder for us, isn't he, of how changeable we can be with our words. Poor guy, I love him. I'm glad he's there. I'm glad he's there. All we had was John. That would be kind of, you know, that would be kind of hard. I love John too, but yeah, he, he, yeah, anyway, Peter's the guy. We can confess great truths. Man, wow, what he saw, what, what he said. And then in an instant, we can be mouthpieces for all that's opposed to God's work. Words can tear down. They can build up and heal.
Nelson Mandela knew this in his long fight against apartheid. He said this, he said, it's never my custom to use words lightly. If 27 years in prison have done anything to us, it was to use the silence of solitude to make us understand how precious words are and how real speech is in its impact on the way people live and die. What are the words we will use today? May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen.